Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you catch the sermon title already today? If you're laughing, that means you actually listened to the gospel message as it was read, right? Because the irony, if I'm going to talk about bacon today and about a herd of pigs that were demon-possessed and went into a lake, right? But, you know, I figured like everything else, the sermon's better with bacon, so we'll just call it bacon, all right? Well, as we gather today, we find ourselves still in a season of Pentecost, meaning we find ourselves in that time as we uh, continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. We continue to talk about how God has come into our lives, how Jesus has died and risen for us, defeated death, the devil, and the grave, has been victorious, and now we live in that same victory and gift of eternal life. But Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God as he's prepared a place for us, And he has sent to us his helper, the Holy Spirit, to walk along with us through this whole world. And as we begin to see that, we see this example with Jesus today um, of him equipping somebody to go and share the good news by the blessing of the Holy Spirit, by having somebody walk alongside with him. Just as we talked and prayed with Malachi, right? And we put on water along with the word and we know the blessing of the spirit that comes in there. That there's nothing magical about that water that's in there. But it's that blessing of the word of God in and with the water from his spirit. And we continue to have that blessing as we are washed and made a new creation. Because, well, let's face it. If you've seen Malachi, he, like, he likes to play in the dirt and stuff. So, you know. We know we're not always going to keep him clean on the outside, but his spirit, right? And so as we gather today and talk about this example that we have in Jesus, uh, we've got to ask ourselves some questions and we've got to look at the story a little bit more. This is a story that uh, is either familiar to you um, because you've heard it before, but for most Christians, even though they can say, oh yeah, I remember the story, Jesus, the pigs, the cliff, yeah, got it. But they can't tell you what it was about. They can't tell you what went into it and what more there is to it. Um, Notice the time we look at it and just say, great, Jesus is powerful enough. He does amazing things. He uh, cleansed somebody of an unclean spirit. And we kind of check that box of fact for us as Christians, but we don't really do anything more than that. This is such an amazing story. It'd be a shame if we just left it there. So Jesus is traveling, and as he's traveling through the seaside um, of Galilee there, he actually gets in the boat, he goes across the lake, and it says that he enters another, uh, another country. And it says Gerasenes is there. So if you, if you think of the Roman Empire at the time, uh, different rulers were set up uh, by Caesar to be able to rule over different cities, different areas. And so that's where he went to at the time. But this is part of Galilee around there that used to be part of Israel. Okay, so as the Jews came into Israel, as God promised them that land, this is what was set up for them. Okay, so this was part of Israel, but now it no longer is because even Jerusalem is under the rule of Herod, which is under the rule of Caesar. Are you following the storyline so far? So what should have been familiar isn't necessarily familiar. What should have been easily traveled to back and forth is no longer easy traveled to back and forth. I want you to think about it. When we travel, um, good old Americans across the state lines, it's pretty easy, isn't it? All right, how hard is it for you to get over into Arkansas? Just go over the bridge, right? Mississippi, just go right on down there. You can get up to Kentucky pretty quick. If you want to get to anything else, it's seven hours, and it's just a hassle. But it's a nice drive. Anyways, um, but it's easy for us to go across state lines. Um, it's not a big deal. Even if you go back a decade or two ago, you could go up to Canada, and you basically waved at the border crossing. 
Some of you are old enough to remember that, right? You're like, hey, Canada, and you waved. It's not that way anymore. Okay, it takes a little bit more to go there and to come back. It looks a little, looks a little bit different. Um, but Jesus, as he's traveling and he's encountering these people, it, it, it's a little bit different than it should have been. Meaning, for the land that God had promised to them the way it should have looked. And so he says he's going to another country. He's going to a different place outside of Jerusalem, outside of Herod's rule, um, but still what at one time was part of Israel. And as he's making that travel, we begin uh, to see some things going on. And he's with the disciples. And as he's traveling there, he encounters a man. And uh, this man, I mean, crazy is an understatement, whatever they want to put into it. Uh, But as it says, it says he's been unclothed and he's been living down by the tombs. I don't know what category you put that person into, but crazy is probably the simplest, nicest way we can say it, right? And everybody seems to know who he is. And he's been there. And it's said that they even tried to shackle him, to restrain him, um, hopefully in an effort to help, um, maybe in an effort to keep him away from everybody. We're not entirely sure. But it says that from the strength of the demons that possessed him, he was able to break out of those chains. I don't even know what that strength would have to look like to break a shackle, to break a chain. Not to unlock them, but to break free of them. And so we're getting a better picture of who Jesus is talking with. And as Jesus is talking with them, the the part that gets me as we look at it is that as he talks to this person, um, the demons recognize who Jesus is. Did you catch that? That it's not the man who recognizes the Messiah or the one who had been being talked about in Jerusalem. It's the demons who recognize him. And they don't just call him Jesus. Do you see the title of recognition that goes along with it? It says, Jesus, son of the most high God. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a small town. And uh, there was always something intriguing to me when it said, oh, you're Greg. You're the little Priner boy. You're Brad's son. Lauren's your grandpa when they can make those generational connections. And that's a blessing when they're able to do that. But sometimes also you kind of wonder and says, well, what did you do hanging out with my grandpa that you're a little worried about your kid hanging out with me? Right. And so what's interesting to me is when they make this statement, as they say, Jesus, son of the most high God, what does the demon know about Jesus? He's not just another man. He is the promised Messiah. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Son of the Most High God. Not any other pagan God, not any other religion, nothing else in there, but the one who has power, authority, and majesty is who's being recognized there. And the demons, legion, is the one who recognizes this. The sad part of this story is that the demon recognizes it, but not all the other people around do. The demon recognizes the power and authority and majesty of Christ standing there in front of them, but not the rest of the people do. The demon recognizes that he's the son of the most high, but not everybody else does. So much so that the demon realizes what Jesus can do, what he's capable of, the authority that he has, what's going to happen next. And so he begs, he says, please don't cast me out. He knows what Christ is uh, capable of. And so what he does, he says, just cast me into the pigs. And I don't know how many demons there were. I don't know how many pigs there were, but there was a herd and a herd is big and there was a lot of them. And there was enough people to look after the herd to be able to tend to them. And as he cast them out, the pigs basically go crazy and they go over the cliffside and they go into the water and drown. 
So what had that man been afflicted with all that time if that's what it did to a swine as it's cast into him? Now here's where the questions really come in. If this was in the land of Israel what was supposed to be, why were a group of Jewish farmers raising hogs? Because if you have a Jewish friend, what don't they eat? Bacon. They don't eat pork because it's not kosher. But nobody asks that question. And it perplexes me. So that means someplace along the generations, they stopped following those guidelines. That means that someplace through the generations, they stopped listening to what they were taught. That someplace along the, along the generations, either new people moved in, other people moved out, bloodlines were crossed, whatever it might be, however you want to talk about it. But they weren't following what God had established for them to follow. Now this land that was once the promised land no longer was filled by the people to whom it was promised. Or if it was filled with the people to whom it was promised, they were no, no longer following the one to, from whom gave it to them. They were no longer following the God who delivered it into their hands. And what's astounding is how they forgot that so quickly. But I wonder how far off we are. Did you know that today in the United States, statistically, whether you want to say Sunday, Saturday overlap, you can put it together. Whether you go to church on Monday night, whatever the day is, that less than 50% of this country will attend church this week. That includes temples, synagogues, whatever religion, less than 50% will be in church this week. My, 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 how some things have changed in a generation, right? What is all soon forgotten? When I lived in New Jersey, uh, they still in a couple of the counties have blue laws. Anybody know what blue laws are? All right. It means that shops aren't opened on Sundays. It was a nice way to make sure that Christians went to church. It was also a mean way to make sure people didn't move into your town if you didn't want them to, if they weren't Christian. It's the same reason that you go through different counties in Tennessee and you might want to go visit a distillery, but you can't taste anything there because it's in a dry county. Oh, you've been. I see. You just all ratted yourself out. There you go. Because it's in a dry county, right? And so you look at all these things that change over the time with different generations. And the reason we need to look at this is because we have to ask ourselves a question that how did the demons know who Jesus was, but nobody standing around knew who he was? And here's what's amazing, that as this guy is cleansed of this demon, he asks if he can follow Jesus. He wants to go along with Jesus. A reasonable request, right? If somebody had just done that for me, if I had been plighted by all those terrible things for so long, guess who I would want to hang out and be with too? The guy who just took it away from me. I'd want to learn at his feet. I'd want to be by him. But Jesus says, no, I need you to go and tell what happened to you. And why does Jesus need him to go and tell what happened to him? Because did you catch the way the people react to Jesus? As they cast out the pigs, the demons go into the pigs, the people are afraid. And as Jesus walks back into town, they're afraid. So think about that. The power and authority. They knew what this guy was like his entire life. So somebody that has that much power that they can cast out those demons, how powerful must they be that they are so afraid of him? But they want to learn from the guy they've known their entire life. 
They want to learn from the guy who grew up in town with them. They want to learn from the guy who's been familiar with them their entire life and is now different. And they want to learn from him and they listen to him. There's not a fear of him because now there's something different about him. What have those generations lost that they needed to be told? These are the generations that were filled with the Spirit that on Easter, on the Passover, as they came in, as the blood was placed over the doorpost, that at the time of Egypt and Pharaoh, that as they promised to Moses that the people would be set free, that they put the blood over their post, and what happened? The Spirit of the Lord passed over them. The firstborn was not taken. And they had faith and trust that they had so much faith and trust that they left Egypt and they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. They came and they carried the ark across the Jordan on dry ground. They marched around Jericho, blew trumpets. And what happened to the walls? The walls came down. And how many generations later, they don't even know who Jesus is, but the demons do. And Jesus asked the guy to go and share the story of what has happened. How many of you often find yourselves in a place where you're a little bit scared to tell the story of what God's done for you? Where you're not quite sure of how it will be received? That if you say it, it might come across a little harsh or maybe even mean. Jesus didn't ask the guy who had been healed to go tell everybody why they were wrong, did he? It's not what your preacher's asking you to do either. Jesus asked him to go care for them. And in caring for them, he asked him to tell his story. He asked him to come alongside them to share his story. To let a group of people who do not know that Jesus is powerful and majestic. And has authority not only, not only over the demons but over death, the devil, and the grave. That as they hear the story later on of the guy who was saved from the demons by the guy who died on a cross and rose again, guess what they're going to believe because they've heard the story passed down. That as you and I come to the waters of baptism are washed over and made a new creation, this as Jesus went to John in the Jordan and was made a new creation, that our God has the power and authority to be able to do so. That the God whom we serve is the most high God. That there's nobody else, nobody below him, nobody above him. That he is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or are you content just to let it go for another generation? Where will it be? The challenge is, is you and I in our faith, understanding what we're forgiven of our sins. We want to run after God. We want to stay with Jesus. And Jesus says, I need you to go and tell people. The part that you and I miss in this story is the part that's not spoken, though. Jesus, as he's gone to prepare a place for us, as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, sends to us his helper. Did this man, relieved of the demons, go by himself to share his story? No, the spirit was right there with him. Did Malachi today not even able to utter the words of forgiveness, of repentance, of acceptance? No, but the Holy Spirit went right along with him. 
That is the one true God whom you serve. With that power, majesty, and authority. May you trust it. May you believe it. May you know for that which it was paid a price for your sins and have been given the gift of eternal life. And may you continue to share your hope with others so that they too might know the saving grace that God has won for them. May you share it with this generation and the next. And by the blessings of the Spirit, may all come to know who our Savior is and who their Savior is. This day and always. Amen.